Chapter Twelve of Love Eternal by H. Ryder Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Home. About forty-eight hours later, Godfrey arrived duly at the little Essex station, three miles from Monk's Acre. There was nobody to meet him, which was not strange, as the hour of his coming was unknown. Still unreasonable as it might be, the contrast between the warmth and affection that had distinguished his departure and the cold vacuum that greeted his arrival chilled him. He said a few words to the grumpy old porter, who was the sole occupant of the platform, but that worthy, although he knew him well enough, did not seem to realise that he had ever been away. During the year in which so many things had happened to Godfrey, nothing at all had happened to the porter, and therefore he did not appreciate the lapse of time. Leaving his baggage to be brought by the carrier's cart, Godfrey took the alpenstock that, in a moment of enthusiasm, the guide had given him as a souvenir of his great adventure, and started for home. It was a very famous alpenstock, which this guide and his father before him had used all their lives, one that had been planted in the topmost snows of every peak in Switzerland. Indeed, the names of the most unclimbable of these, together with the dates of their conquest by its owners, sometimes followed by crosses, to show that on such or such an expedition life had been lost, were burnt into the tough wood with a hot iron. As the first of these dates was as far back as 1831, Godfrey valued this staff highly, and did not like to leave it to the chances of the carrier's cart. His road through the fields ran past Hawke's Hall, of which he observed with a thrill of dismay that the blinds were drawn as though in it someone lay dead. There was no reason why he should have been dismayed, since he had heard that Isabel had gone away to somewhere in America, as Mrs. Parsons had expressed it in a brief and ill-spelt letter, and that Sir John was living in town. Yet the sight depressed him still further, with its suggestion of death, or of separation, which is almost as bad. For, be it remembered, he was at an age when such impressions came home. After leaving the hall with its blinded and shuttered windows, his quickest road to the abbey house ran through the churchyard. Here the first thing that confronted him was a gigantic monument, of which the new marble glittered in the afternoon sun. It was a confused affair, and all he made out of it, without close examination, was a life-size angel with an early Victorian countenance, leaning against the broken stump of an oak tree, and scattering from a basket of the kind that is used to collect nuts or windfall apples, onto a sarcophagus beneath a profusion of marble roses, some of which seemed to have been arrested and frozen in mid-air. He glanced at the inscription in gold letters. It was, To the beloved memory of Lady Jane Blake, wife of Sir John Blake, Bart, J.P., and the daughter of the Right Honourable, the Earl of Linfield, whose bereaved husband erected this monument. Her husband praiseth her. Godfrey looked, and remembering the gentle little woman whose crumbling flesh lay beneath, 
shivered at the awful and crushing erection above in life as he knew she had been unhappy but what had she done to deserve such a memorial in death still she was dead of that there was no doubt and oh the sadness of it all he went on to the abbey resisting a queer temptation to enter the church and look at the tomb of the plantagenet lady and her unknown knight who slept there so quietly from year to year through spring summer autumn and winter for ever and for ever the front door was locked so he rang the bell it was answered by a new servant rather a forbidding middle-aged woman with a limp who informed him that mr knight was out and notwithstanding his explanations declined to admit him into the house doubtless she thought that a young man wearing a foreign-looking hat and carrying such a strange long stick must be a thief or worse the end of it was that she slammed the door in his face and shot the old-fashioned bolts then godfrey bethought him of the other door that which led into the ancient refectory which was now used as a schoolroom this was open so he went in and being tired after his long journey sat himself down in the chair at the end of the old oak table that same chair in which isabel had kissed him when he was a little boy he looked about him vaguely the place of course was much the same as it had been for the last five hundred years but as he could see from the names on the copy-books that lay about the pupils who inhabited it had changed of the whole six not one was the same then perhaps for the first time he began to understand how variable is the world a mere passing show in which nothing remains the same except the houses and the trees even these depart for a cottage with which he had been familiar from his earliest infancy as he could see through the open door was pulled down to make room for improvements and the great old elm where the rooks used to build had been torn up in a gale only its ugly stump and projecting roots were left so he sat musing there very depressed at heart till at length mrs parsons came and discovered him in a half doze she too was somewhat changed for of a sudden age had begun to take a hold of her her hair was white now and her plump round face had withered like a spring apple still she greeted him with the old affection for which he felt grateful seeing that it was the first touch of kindness he had known since he set foot on english ground dear me master godfrey she said hadn't i heard that you were coming i could never have been sure that it was you why you've grown into a regular young gentleman in those foreign parts and handsome too though i says it who could have guessed that you are your father's son why you'd make two of him but there they say that your mother was a good-looking lady and large-built though as i never set eyes on her i can't say for sure well you must be tired after all this travelling in steamships and trains so come into the dining-room and have some tea for i have got the key to the sideboard he went and passing through the hall left his alpenstock in the umbrella stand in due course the tea was produced though for it he seemed to have little appetite 
while he made pretence to eat the thick bread and butter mrs parsons told him the news such as it was sir john was living in town and flinging the money about so it was said not but what he had got lots to fling and plenty to catch it she added meaningly his poor dear lady was dead and happy for her on the whole miss isabel had gone foreign having it was told quarrelled with her father and nothing had been heard of her since she went she too had grown into a fine young lady that was all he gathered before mrs parsons was obliged to depart to see to her business except that she was exceedingly glad to see him godfrey went up to his bedroom which he found unprepared for somebody else seemed to be sleeping there while he was surveying it and wondering who this occupant might be he heard his father in the hall asking the parlour-maid which of the young gentlemen had left that ridiculous stick in the stand she replied that she did not know whereupon the hard voice of his parent told her to take it away afterwards godfrey found it thrown into the wood-house to be chopped up for firewood though luckily before this happened by this time a kind of anger had seized him it was true that he had not said by what train he was coming for the reason that until he reached london he could not tell but he had written that he was to arrive that afternoon and surely some note might have been taken of the fact he went downstairs and confronted his father who alone amid so much change seemed to be exactly the same mr knight shook him by the hand without any particular cordiality and at once attacked him for not having intimated the hour of his arrival saying that it was too late to advise the carrier to call at the station for his baggage and that a trap would have to be sent which cost money very well father i will pay for it myself answered godfrey oh yes i forgot exclaimed mr knight with a sneer you have come into money somehow have you not and doubtless consider yourself independent yes and i am glad of it father as now i hope i shall not be any more expense to you as you have begun to talk business godfrey replied his father in an acid manner we may as well go into things and get it over you have i presume made up your mind to go into the church in accordance with my wish no father i do not intend to become a clergyman indeed you seem to me to have fallen under very bad influences in switzerland however it does not much matter as i intend that you shall i am sorry but i cannot father then within such limits as his piety permitted which was sufficiently wide mr knight lost his temper very badly indeed he attacked his son suggesting that he had been leading an evil life in lucerne as he had learned from outside sources and declared that either he should obey him or be cast off godfrey whose temper by this time was also rising intimated that he preferred the latter alternative what then do you intend to do young man asked mr knight i do not know yet father then an inspiration came to him and he added i shall go to london to-morrow to consult my trustees under miss ogilvy's will really said mr knight in a rage you are after that ill-gotten money are you well as we seem to agree so badly why not go to-night instead of to-morrow there is a late train 
perhaps it would be pleasanter for both of us and then i need not send for your luggage also it would save my shifting the new boy from your room do you really mean that father i am not in the habit of saying what i do not mean only please understand that if you reject my plans for your career which have been formed after much thought and i may add prayer i wash my hands of you who are now too old to be argued with in any other way godfrey looked at his father and considered the iron mouth cut straight like a slit across the face the hard insignificant countenance and the small cold grey eyes he realised the intensity of the petty anger based for the most part on jealousy because he was now independent and could not be ordered about and bullied like the rest of the little boys and knew that behind it there was not affection but dislike summing up all this in his quick mind he became aware that father or not he regarded this man with great aversion their natures their outlook all about them were antagonistic and in fact had been so from the beginning the less that they saw of each other the better it would be for both although still young he had ripened early and was now almost a man who knew that these things were so without possibility of doubt very well father he said i will go it is better than stopping here to quarrel i thought you would now that your friend isabel who did you so much harm with her bad influence has departed to mexico where i have no doubt she has forgotten all about you you won't be able to run after her money as you did after miss ogilvy's replied mr knight with another sneer you insult me said godfrey it is a lie that i ran after miss ogilvy's money and i will never forgive you for saying such thing of me in connection with isabel and turning he left the room so did his father for godfrey heard him go to his study and lock the door doubtless as a sign and a token then godfrey sought out mrs parsons and told her everything the old woman was much disturbed and wept i have been thinking of late master godfrey she said that your father's heart is made of that kind of stone which hell is paved with only with the good intentions left out it's that hard here you are come back as fine a young man as a body can wish to see of whom his begetter might well be proud though for the matter of that there is precious little of him in you and he shuts the door in your face just because you won't be a parson and have come into fortune that's what rankles i say that your mother if she was a fool when she married him was a wise woman when she died parson or not he will never go where she is well it's sad but you'll be well out of this cold house where there's so much praying but not a spark of love i think so said godfrey with a sigh i think so too for myself i mean but look here my boy i only stopped on looking after this dratted pack of young gentlemen because you were coming home again but as you ain't i'm out of it yes when the door shuts on you i give my month's notice which perhaps will mean that i leave to-morrow for he won't be able to abide the sight of me after that but how will you live nurse till i can help you lord bless you dear that's all right i've been a careful woman all my life and have hard on five hundred pounds put away in the savings bank to say nothing of a bit of stock 
also my old brother who was a builder died last year and left me with a nice little house in hampstead which he built to live in himself but never did poor man bit by bit when he was short of business very comfortable and in a good neighbourhood with first-rate furniture and real silver plate to say nothing of some more stock yes for one thousand pounds or more i let it furnished by the month but the tenant is going away so i shall just move into it myself and perhaps take in a lodger or two to keep me from being idle that's capital said godfrey delighted yes and i tell you what would be capitaler mayhap you will have to live in london for a bit and if so you are just the kind of lodger i should like and i don't think we should quarrel about terms i'll write you down the address of that house the grove as it is called though why i don't know seeing there isn't a tree within half a mile which i don't mind as there are too many about here making so much damp and you'll write and let me know what you're going to do won't you of course i will and now look here likely you will want a little money till you square up things with your trustee people that the master hates so much well i had forgotten it but as a matter of fact i have only ten shillings left and that isn't much when one is going to london confessed godfrey i thought so you never were one to think much of such things and so it's probable that you'll get plenty of them for it's what we care about we are starved in just to make it hot for us poor humans take your father for instance he loves power he does he'd like to be a bishop of the old roman sort what could torture people who didn't agree with them and what is he the parson of a potty parish of a couple of hundred people counting the babies and the softies and half of them dissenters or salvation army moreover they can't be bullied because if they were they'd just walk into the next chapel door of course there's the young gentleman and he takes it out of them but lord bless us that's like kicking a woolsack of which any man of spirit soon gets tired so you see he is sick-hearted and will be more so now that you have stood up to him and in this way or that it's the same with everyone none of us gets what we want while of what we don't want there's always plenty while the old lady held forth thus in her little room which although she did not know it had once been the penitential cell of the abbey wherein for hundreds of years many unhappy ones had reflected in a very similar vein she was engaged in trying key after key upon a stout oak chest it was part of the ancient furniture of the place that indeed in former days had served as the receptacle for hair shirts scourges and other physical inducements to repentance and piety now it had a different purpose and held mrs parson's best dresses also in a bandbox an ornament preserved from her wedding cake for once in the far past she was married to a sailor a very great black guard who came to his end by tumbling from a gangway when he was drunk among these articles was a tin tea canister which when opened proved to be full of money gold silver and even humble copper to say nothing of several banknotes now there you are my dear take what you like she said 
and pay it back if you wish, but if you don't, it might have been worse spent. And she pushed the receptacle, labelled Imperial Pico, towards him across the table, adding, Drat those moths, there's another on my best silk. Godfrey burst out laughing and enjoyed that laugh, for it was his first happy moment since his return to England. Give me what you like, he said. So she extracted from the tea tin a five-pound note, four sovereigns, and a pound's worth of silver and copper. There, she said, that will do to begin with, for too much money in the pocket is a temptation in a wicked place like London, where there's always someone wanting to share it. If it's wanted, there's more where that came from and you've only to write and say so. And now you have got the address, and you've got the cash, and if you want to catch that last train, it's time you were off. If I took the same tomorrow night, why, it wouldn't surprise me, especially as I want to hear all you've been doing in those foreign parts, tumbling over precipices and the rest. So good-bye, my dear, and God bless you. Lord, it seems only the other day that I was giving you your bottle. Then they kissed each other, and having retrieved his alpenstock from the stick-house, Godfrey trudged back to the station, where he picked up his luggage and departed for London. Arriving at Liverpool Street rather late, he went to the Great Eastern Hotel, and after a good meal, which he needed, slept like a top. His reception in England had been bitter, but the young soon shake off their troubles, from which indeed the loving-kindness of his dear old nurse already had extracted the sting. On the following morning, while breakfasting at a little table by one of the pillars of the big dining-room, he began to wonder what he should do next. In his pocket he had a notebook, in which, at the suggestion of the pasteur, he had set down the address of the lawyers who had written to him about his legacy. It was in a place called the Poultry, which, on inquiry from the hall porter, he discovered was quite close by the mansion house. So a while later, for the porter told him that it was no use to go to see lawyers too early, he sallied forth, and after much search discovered the queer spot called the Poultry, also the offices of Messrs. Ranson, Richards and Son. Here he gave his name to a clerk, who thrust a very oily head out of a kind of mahogany box, and was told that Mr. Ranson was engaged, but that if he cared to wait, perhaps he would see him later on. He said he would wait, and was shown into a stuffy little room, furnished with ancient deed-boxes, and a very large old leather-covered sofa that took up half the place. Here he sat for a while, staring at a square of dirty glass, which gave what light was available, and reflecting upon things in general. While he was thus engaged, he heard a kind of tumult outside, in which he recognised the treble of the oily-headed clerk, coming in a bad second to a deep bass voice. Then the door opened, and a big burly man with a red face, and a jovial rolling eye, appeared with startling suddenness, and ejaculated, "'Damn Ransom!' damn Richards, or damn them both, with the sun thrown in. I ask you, young man, here he addressed Godfrey, seated on the corner of the sofa, what is the use of a firm of lawyers who you can never see? 
you pay the brutes but three times out of four they are not visible or as i suspect pretend not to be in order to enhance their own importance and i sent them a telegram too having a train to catch what do you think i don't know sir godfrey answered i never came to a lawyer's office before and i hope i shan't again if this is the kind of room they put one into room ejaculated the irate gentleman call it a dog kennel call it a cesspool for by heaven it smells like one but in the interests of truth young man don't call it a room now that you mention it there is a queer odour perhaps a dead rat under the floor suggested godfrey twenty dead rats probably since i imagine that this hole has not been cleaned since the time of george the second we are martyrs in this world sir i come here to attend to the affairs of some whippersnapper whom i never saw and never want to see just because helen ogilvy who was my first cousin chooses to make me a trustee of her confounded will in which she leaves money to the confounded whippersnapper god knows why this whippersnapper has a father a parson who can write the most offensive letters imaginable i received one of them this morning accusing the whippersnapper of all sorts of vague things and me and my fellow trustee who is at present enjoying himself travelling of abetting him i repeat damn ranson richards and sons damn the parson damn helen no i won't say that for she is dead and especially damn the whippersnapper don't you agree with me not quite sir said godfrey i don't mind about ranson richards and son or anybody else but i don't quite see why you should damn me who i am sure never wish to give you any trouble you and who the hades may you be i am godfrey knight and i suppose that you are my trustee or one of them godfrey knight the young man whose father gives us so much trouble all at our own expense i may remark well after hearing so much of you on paper i'm deuce glad to meet you in the flesh come into the light if you can call it light and let me have a look at you godfrey stepped beneath the dirty pane and was contemplated through an eyeglass by this breezy old gentleman who exclaimed presently you're all right i think a fine figure of a young man not bad looking either but you want drilling why the devil don't you go into the army i don't know answered godfrey never thought of it are you in the army sir no not now though i was commanded my regiment for five years and then kicked out with the courtesy title of major-general cubit is my name spelt with two t's and an e spelt with two t's and an e please and don't you forget that since that e has been a point of honour with our family for a hundred years the lord knows why well there we are do you smoke only a pipe said godfrey that's right i hate those accursed cigarettes still they are better than nothing now sit down and tell me all about yourself godfrey obeyed and somehow feeling at ease with this choleric old general in the course of the next twenty minutes explained many things to him including the cause of his appearance in that office so you don't want to be a parson said the general and with your father's example before your eyes i am sure i don't wonder however you are independent of him more or less 
and had better cut out a line for yourself. We will back you. What do you say to the army? I think I should rather like that, answered Godfrey. Only, only I want to get out of England as soon as possible. And quite right, too, a cursed hole full of fog and politicians. But that's not difficult with India waiting for you. I'm an Indian cavalry officer myself, and could put you up to the ropes and give you a hand afterwards, perhaps, if you show yourself of the right stuff, as I think you will. But, of course, you will have to go to Sandhurst, pass an entrance examination and so forth. Can you manage that? Yes, sir, I think so, with a little preparation. I know a good deal of one sort or another, including French. All right. Three months. Cramming at schoons or wrens will do the trick, and now I suppose you want some money. Godfrey explained that he did, having only ten pound which he had borrowed from his old nurse. Just then the oily-headed clerk announced that Mr. Ransom was at liberty, so they both went in to see him, and the rest may be imagined. The trustees undertook to pay his expenses, even if they had to stretch a point to do so, and gave him twenty pound to go on with, also a letter of introduction to Schoons, whom he was instructed to see and arrange to join their classes. Then General Cubitt hustled off, telling him to come to dine at an address in Kensington two nights later and report himself. So within less than an hour, Godfrey's future career was settled. He came out of the office feeling rather dazed, but happier than when he went in, and inquired his way to Garrick Street, where he was informed that Mr. Schoons had his establishment. He found the place, and by good luck found Mr. Schoons also, a kindly, keen, white-haired man, who read the letter, made a few inquiries, and put him through a brief examination. "'Your information is varied and peculiar,' he said, "'and not of the sort that generally appeals to Her Majesty's examiners. "'Still, I see that you have intelligence, "'and of course the French is an asset, "'also the literature to some extent, and the Latin, "'though these would have counted more "'had you been going up for the Indian civil. "'I think we can get you through in three months if you will work. "'It all depends on that.' You will find a lot of young men here, of whom quite seventy percent do nothing except sea life. Very nice fellows in their way, but if you want to get into Sandhurst, keep clear of them. Now, my term opens next Monday. I will write to General Cubitt and tell him what I think of you, also that the fees are payable in advance. Goodbye, glad you happened to catch me, which you would not have done half an hour later. "'as I am going out of town. "'At ten o'clock next Monday, please.' "'After this, not knowing what to do, "'Godfrey returned to the Great Eastern Hotel "'and wrote a letter to his father, "'in which, boldly enough, "'he explained what had happened. "'Having posted it in the box in the hall, "'he bethought him that he must find some place to live, "'as the hotel was too expensive for a permanence, "'and was making inquiries of the porter as to how he should set about the matter when a telegram was handed to him it ran all up as i expected meet me liverpool street four thirty nurse so godfrey postponed his search for lodgings 
and at the appointed hour kept the assignation on the platform. The train arrived, and out of it, looking much more like her old self than she had on the previous day, emerged Mrs. Parsons with the most extraordinary collection of bundles. He counted nine of them, to say nothing of a jackdaw in a cage. She embraced him with enthusiasm, dropping the heaviest of the parcels, which seemed to contain bricks, upon his toe, and in a flood of language, told him of the peculiar awfulness of the row between his father and herself, which had ensued upon his departure. Yes, she ended, he flung my money at my head, and I flung it back at his, though afterwards I picked it up again, for it is no use wasting good gold and silver. And so here I am, beginning life again, like you, and feeling thirty years younger for it. Now tell me what you are going to do. Then they went and had tea in the refreshment room, leaving the jackdaw and the other impediments in charge of a porter, and he told her, That's first rate, she said. I always hated the idea of seeing you with a black coat on your back. The Queen's uniform looks much better, and I want you to be a man. Now, you help me into a cab, and by dinner time tomorrow I'll be ready for you at my house at Hampstead, if I have to work all night to do it. Terms. Drat the terms. Well, if you must have them, Master Godfrey, ten shillings a week will be more than you will cost me, and I ought to give you five back for your company. Now, I'll make a start, for there will be a lot to do before the place is fit for a young gentleman. I've never seen it but twice, you know. So she departed, packed into a four-wheeled cab, with the jackdaw on her lap, and Godfrey went to Madame Tussaud's, where he studied the guillotine and the chamber of horrors. On the following morning, having further improved his mind at the tower, he took a cab also, and in due course arrived at Hampstead with his belongings. The place took some finding, for it was on top of a hill in an old-fashioned, out-of-the-way part of the suburb, but when found proved to be delightful. It was a little square house built of stone, on which the old builder had lavished all his skill and care, so that in it everything was perfect, with a garden both in front and behind. The floors were laid in oak, the little hall was oak-panelled, there were hot and cold water in every room, and so forth. Moreover, an odd man was waiting to carry in his things, and in one of the front sitting-rooms, which was excellently furnished, sat Mrs. Parsons knitting, as though she had been there for years. "'Here you are,' she said, "'just as I was beginning to get tired of having nothing to do. "'Lord, what a fuss we make about things before we face em. "'After all, they ain't nothing but bubbles. "'Blow them and they burst. "'Look here, Master Godfrey,' and she waved her hand about the sitting-room. Pretty neat, ain't it? Well, I thought it would be all of a hugger-mugger, but what did I find? That those tenants had been jewels and left everything like a new pin to say nothing of improvements, such as an eagle range. Moreover, the caretaker is a policeman's wife and a very nice woman always ready to help for a trifle, and that man that brought in your boxes is a relative of hers who does gardening jobs and such like. 
now come and see your rooms and she led him with pride into a capital back apartment with a large window in fact an old tudor one which the builder had produced somewhere together with the panelling on the walls that's your study she said bookshelves and all complete now follow me and she took him upstairs to a really charming bedroom but said godfrey surveying these splendours this must be the best room in the house where do you sleep oh at the back there my dear you see i am accustomed to a small chamber and shouldn't be happy in this big one besides you are going to pay me rent and must be accommodated and now come down to your dinner a very good dinner it was cooked by the policeman's wife which mrs parsons insisted on serving as she would not sit at the table with him in short godfrey found himself in clover a circumstance that filled him with some sadness why he wondered should he always be made so miserable at home and so happy when he was away then he remembered that famous line about the man who throughout life ever found his warmest welcome at an inn and perceived that it hid much philosophy frequently enough homes are not what fond fancy paints them while in the bosom of strangers there is much kindness end of chapter 12